Be sure to check out the brand new Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 book, which is available now in both print and digital download. The book dives into the advanced statistics for all 30 NHL teams, which includes assessments for every player who played in an NHL game last season, and also a team essay for every team as well. To find out more on how to purchase the book, please visit HockeyProspectus.com. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 7th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we will be discussing some teams around the NHL uh, based on where they are in the standings and if we think they are in a spot that is sustainable, will they stay uh, where they are, whether it's a team that we believe maybe is overachieving or perhaps maybe some that are underachieving and can they change their fortunes. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, wherever else we may wander off to. Um, But we will start with the overachieving, underachieving aspect of this week's podcast. Cameron, where do you want to start? I want to start with Montreal and Anaheim because I think one's overachieving, one's underachieving, and I think when they balance out to probably the statistical norms. They're both going to make the playoffs. I just don't think that Montreal is going to lead the conference, and I don't think Anaheim are just going to squeak in either. Um, Anaheim, I've never really been too concerned with them. I guess my concern with Anaheim was if they were going to go the way of the Blue Jackets and, and dig a hole that was too deep to come out of. Yeah. Fortunately for them, they play in the Pacific, and fortunately for them, they have not dug that hole quite as deep because um, they have 10 points in 13 games. Columbus has 8 points in 15 games and play in a much tougher conference. You know that Anaheim has skilled players. The shooting percentage was the the huge hurdle for them. Yeah. And without seeing a rolling shooting percentage in front of me, I'm just assuming because they've won a few games here. Actually, they've won three in a row. That that shooting percentage is somewhat rebounded. And that was to, it was to be expected of that particular roster. It was the it was all the big guys that that weren't weren't performing. And um, historically, you can go back through what they've done and go, it will turn around. And goal scoring can be streaky in this league, as every team knows. And they all just got snake bit at the start of the year. So the bonus for them is they're only four points behind San Jose for third spot in the Pacific, but they are six points behind Minnesota for the second wildcard spot. So they're going to have to do it through their own division again, which just seems to be the way with that Pacific division. Um, it looks it looks as though they're going to get themselves sorted out, um, which is great. So I like the way they play. I like the way Bruce Boudreau teams play. Um, it would be nice to see them actually get some success and um, have everyone looking back going, oh, well done, Anaheim. They didn't panic. They, they wrote it out. And it's like, well, of course you wrote it out. Boudreau's a good coach. Just because the players lose the plot for a little while doesn't mean he's a bad coach. Yeah, and their shooting percentage has rebounded. I, I found a little rolling chart for so far this year and uh it's been trending back towards that league average of eight percent and they're starting to win games so when you combine that with the fact that uh 
Arizona's ahead of them in that fourth spot by three yeah. points. I I think that Max Domi and Anthony Duclair are fun to watch, but by no means do I think they're a good team. No, yeah, that's that's not the argument. The entertainment value is there with some of the players on the Arizona roster, but in regards to compiling, what is it, around about 97 to 98 points to get into the playoffs, I just can't see the Arizona roster being able to do that. No, and their goaltending at the beginning of the year with Mike Smith was excellent, and they're 16th now goaltending, even starting so save percentage, so they're, they're slipping in that regard. Uh, they're probably not well, going to hang on. No, that's right. Although, funny enough, and, their shooting percentage, they're fourth best, so <laughs> Arizona, that is. That's how it all balances out. And that's the thing with Anaheim. They were losing games, and some of them were sort of heartbreaking kind of games, but they weren't getting blown out of the water. They just weren't putting the puck in the net. So um, that goals, that, that differential for their goals should actually start to, to minimize. It has to if they're going to win games. So it wouldn't surprise me if we get to, you know, I mean, we're almost at 20% of the, the season done now. It wouldn't surprise me when we get to games 24 to 26 that Anaheim have, have balanced the ship and they'd be in that Pacific Division Top three spots, I think. Yeah, and, um, you know, they, they they actually have, I believe, cap space. They do. They've got cap space to burn this year if they wanted to. So they could get creative if they wanted to on the trade front, yeah. which is yep. always beneficial. It comes down to how much do they want to jam themselves up further on down the track with a couple of those other contracts, but... It's been one of the things that they're sort of blessed with. If they want to splash out and, and, and make a big move for someone because they think, right, we've got it worked out, then they certainly could this year. It, it's all there for them to have a, a, a red-hot crack at it, which is funny to say that because they looked pretty good last year as well. Uh, they have close to $7 million. That's a lot yeah. when you go shopping. Yeah. And it's a lot when you consider – you know, towards the trade deadline, you're you're only talking about like thirty percent of the season left. They won't even need all that seven million. No, no. For multiple I mean, could, moves. Yeah, they could bring in a couple of different options if they really wanted to. If if it goes pear shaped in one department of that team, they can shore it up and improve it. If they get injuries or if they feel like they really want to take a step forward for something, it's all there for them to do it. Like they're in a really really good spot. So I think we agree here that I think they're going to continue to trend uh, in the direction that most people thought they were going yeah. to be at. Uh, a lot of yep. people picked them for the Stanley Cup final. Actually, don't I don't think I made any picks this year. So anything I tell you pick-wise is a, is a load of, of crap. I don't I think we, I forgot uh, to make picks. I think after the year – I think after last year when we did it, I think we just um, subconsciously just avoided doing any picks. I don't know. I had Tampa, I think. Uh, Dallas haunt me to this day. I think I had... Uh, I know the year before I had San Jose when they blew that... Uh, Three-zip lead in LA. Yeah. I think they could have done well if they didn't do that, but oh well. Then I think I had the Blues. F the Blues. They they never turn the corner. <laughs> So do you think Montreal are going to stay the way they are, which is almost unbeatable? 
Uh, not unbeatable. I do think they're better than they've been. I don't think they're the same team they were last year. Um, so what changed? I think they got a little better on the possession front. I think signing a guy like Jeff Petrie to have around all year helps. Uh, so let me pull up their roster here. Galchenyuk, another year older, better. And getting an opportunity to actually play in his natural position. Petrotti and Gallagher are playing great. Yep. Alex Simmons on the healthy scratch train lately. Dale Weiss, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain his goal scoring, but right now he's just filling the net. Lights out. Five in four games, it'll generally do that too. Thomas Fleischman's been a great signing for them. Fleischman's, Fleischman's awesome. And I say that with that little asterisk next to it in regards to you. Look at the role that he's put there for. He does it so well. Oh, let's see. I'm trying to see. Early in the year, Montreal had very good possession, which was an encouraging sign. Oh. <laughs> they dipped for a little bit there uh, for a few games. They they went from like a 56% area all the way down to 44, and now they're rebounding back to around 50% possession at even strength. Um but it's such a small sample size, it, I, I think it opens it up to be very volatile. So I'm going to need at least 25, 30 games to kind of get a better idea of where they're going on the possession front. Yeah. But they've shown a, at least a few different um, signs of being better, and they need to be better there because we've discussed many times, yes, Carey Price great, but when Carey Price has to be great is different than carry price that can be above average and have them win and then when he's great become unbeatable i think last year they were a team when he was great they were just a good team not unbeatable yeah if that makes sense no it does in other words i think you you said this for last year's playoffs if carry price has a one to two percent drop off with which is ridiculously unfair on on price they're not going to go very far. And in the end, that, that proved to be true. He had that 1-2% drop-off from what he provided in the regular season to the playoffs, which was still exceptional output. It still wasn't enough to carry that team because they didn't have the puck enough. So if they can get themselves up to that 50%, 51%, it's going to make that Montreal Canadiens team even harder to beat. I still don't think they're going to win the Atlantic. I think Tampa's still the favourite there. Yeah, I think they will. And... Um, I think it'll end up being Tampa, Montreal, raffle the third spot. The, the Rangers are maybe going to push Tampa for that President's Trophy again. Yeah, Tampa's got no holes, really. The only thing I could see that could cause a conundrum for them is Vasilevsky. As far as? As far as just... Every time he goes in and plays in the latter half of the year, if he totally outplays Bishop, what's Cooper going to do? Because Vasilevsky, all the tools are there for that kid. It does would not surprise me if it all comes together for him this year and he, he forces them to make a decision. And I would be trading away Bishop if I was Tampa. I don't think they need to trade Bishop this year, but yes, with Stamkos coming up. I think yeah. in the offseason would be a smart idea. Shifting, obviously, use the extra cap space to sign Stamkos to whatever you I need mean, to. I mean, for now, they can survive. They they really have no oh. pressing needs. 
So no, keeping it's... around two good goalies seems fine, or actually a very good idea if, if mm-hmm. at all financially feasible. And well, with Vasilevsky being paid chump change, it's financially very feasible. Absolutely. So we'll see where Montreal goes. I, I need more games, but their plus 28 goal differential is pretty awesome. Oh, it's awesome. It's absolutely fabulous. The fact that they're scoring, this is the thing. They're not 2-1 games this year for Montreal. There's another team that seems to be winning that way. Um, so the fact that they can actually rack it up and, and give that little bit of a mental break to both their goaltenders is, is fantastic. And they're winning without pricing net. So it's definitely, like you said at the start, it's definitely a different team to last year, which is which is great for, for the Canadians fans. Who's up next? Uh, was there... No, I don't... I didn't want to talk... Was it... I can't remember. Chicago? You said Detroit. Well, we'll stay in conference, but did you mention Detroit? Detroit? Yeah, that's the... I couldn't remember who it was. Um... It's interesting seeing a Detroit team be so-so on keeping the puck. Yeah, in fact, it's not so-so. It's really terrible. They are 29th in possession at Mm -hmm. 45.6% of the shot attempts. Awful. That is not a trait of them. And the interesting dynamic here is, of course, the change of coach. I don't think the roster turnover has gone for the worse from last year to this year. In fact, I would argue it's better with Dylan Larkin and Mike Green in there. Yeah. And is it really the Mike Babcock factor here? Or I haven't heard this name talked about a lot this year, and it's probably because he hasn't played yet, but Pavel Datsuk has yet to return. I'm sure that will really help. Yeah, it, actually, it will be very interesting to see the pre-Datsuk, post-Datsuk possession numbers and, and how it scales through for them um, for that exact reason. Um, it's one of those things with the possession numbers. I always sort of like to try and look at them towards the end of the year in sort of 10-game allotments. Like you want to have a look at it between 50 and 60, 60 to 70, 70 to 82, and see how a team's trending in those blocks of games moving into the playoffs. You might have a team that's been, you know, really poor possessionally all year, but the last 10 games of the year, they've got themselves up to that 50% mark. Yeah, whether uh, that be getting players back or whatever reason. But, yeah, yeah. obviously something clicked that is yeah. showing up. And you might go into the playoffs as a poor possession team because you've been bad so much of the year. The last, you know, 15 games can't drag your numbers back to that 50% mark, but... You get it right at the, at the the tail end of the year, and you can go in knowing that you've got the puck now. The other team um, should certainly improve your chances of winning in the playoffs. And Detroit getting that sit back would, would be great. And I mean, the bonus for Detroit is they've been winning without him, and right now they're in a playoff spot. So um, my assumption would be that they're still going to make the playoffs, but you've got to get that man healthy. Goaltending's been good for them. Yep. Shooting percentage has been top 10 for them. Their struggles have come on the possession front. So 
so strange. Which, so strange. Which feels weird to say a, a Detroit team chasing rather than than creating. It, it's just funny how it works. Well, I mean, you got a guy like Nicholas Cronwall, who I actually was watching that Detroit Toronto game last night that went to three on three. Yep. Uh, and they got Cronwall out there on three on three, and it, uh, I just think that's a defenseman they still probably think he's better than he is these yep. days. I don't think Cronwall is all that great, and they probably play him like he is. So I think that's problematic. No There's no one else that I really kind of trust, is there? No, they 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 were never going to be able to. Re- Rafalski retired on them unexpectedly. That was kind of Fair. like they, he kind of dropped the hammer on them a little bit. Lidstrom, more predictable on his uh, time frame of retirement, but there's obviously no replacing him either. <laughs> so they're left with Cronwall and Erickson. And, you know, Brendan Smith's young guy, he's, he's okay. DeKaiser, okay. They had to go out and get Mike Green. Trade a first for Kyle Quincy, who's kind of, you know, blah. It's an interesting mishmash back there, and it probably proves the point that if you don't have multiple puck movers, at least one puck mover on each pair, and if you're lucky enough to have two puck movers in one pair, um, you struggle to get out of your zone, and therefore you don't have the puck it's down your end rather than the other team's end. So it, it does show you how... Uh, an immobile, a back six that have the inability to move the puck, whether it be a good first outlet or by their own skates, um, really does slow down a team's ability to produce. And Nick Cronwall, the, from 2012-13 to, to last year, his possession impact on his teammates is bottom pairing level. And that's been on Mike Babcock, good possession team. So yeah. uh, that's that's not good. So do you, do you think Detroit are going to who who from below Detroit is going to be able to take away that wild card spot for them? Florida if they get healthy. Luongo's playing great. They have some really good forwards. Uh, I I think they're a team on the rise clearly. They wouldn't be silly enough to trade away Brian Campbell this year, would they? Um, they'd be silly if they were in a legit playoff race, but I don't think it would be silly if they were not. I, it's one of those things that I can't see them not being in a legit playoff race. And when it gets to that trade deadline, I think Florida are going to be right on that cusp of, do we keep him and do we trade for other players to go for it? Because they need to make the playoffs here and doing it this year would be just really good for their, their fans and trying to get more fans into that arena. Or are they going to go the conservative route and trade away an asset that's probably not going to stay to try and get someone in that's on a longer-term contract to do the same thing? It's an, it'll be interesting to see how, how Florida go with those decisions if they're still in the hunt. Well, they're falling back right now. They don't have Alex Barkov. They're 2-5-3 uh, and three in their last 10 games. So that's, that's not good. They can't afford to fall behind because even at their best, they'll be clawing for one of those final playoff spots, even if at an optimal situation. So they need to, to tread water. I think they just got Yager back. That's good. Um, 
That was a nice little cat pun, by the way. Claw their way to get in. <laughs> Unintentional, <laughs> but yes. I didn't think it was deliberate. No, I didn't think it was deliberate. It's it's interesting with it's interesting for me with Florida because there's some really good young pieces on that roster, and it would be great to have them fight their way through again. But then there's a part of me that wants Florida to fall off the pace a little bit, just so Jaeger can get traded. And we have Jaeger watch again. Well, I'll always have Jaeger watch, but it won't be Pittsburgh related this time. For the no, first time in a while, I, I was—I would always write those Pittsburgh Jaeger articles, just because. Because <laughs> it's fun, and Jaeger's great, and I—I like Pittsburgh and Jaeger, and I think the two together are pretty great. But with Kessel in the mix now, and you got Hornquist, Bennett, Sprong. It, there's just not a they they need left wingers, not right wingers. So Jager watch would not include Pittsburgh this time around. But it's always interesting. <laughs> you know what? Uh, yeah. Well, didn't did you have like Buffalo on? Yeah, that's that's. I was just about to bring it up because. So you you bullish at the start of the year that they might nudge a playoff spot? Yeah, they started off really slow. They're six and eight. Uh, they're five and five in their last ten. They're sitting seventh out of eight in the Atlantic Division right now. But fifth place Boston has thirteen points, and seventh place Buffalo has twelve. Although Bruins have two games in hand, um, it's going to be tough for them. I didn't think they. They'd start off quite as slow as they did. That might hurt them too, might it? Because it's really hard to claw games back. But the problem that they were going to have going into the year was goaltending, and that was even with Robin Lehner. And now they're just kind of rolling forward with, uh, mm. I think, Allmark is his name, and think- Chad Johnson and... I still don't know why the Sabres didn't sign Thomas Grice. You're high on Grice for what he provides for how little he costs, aren't you? I think he's pretty okay, even if you took that away. Mm. His numbers prove that. It's just that no one's ever taken the gamble on him to give him 50 starts. That's the reality. He plays a very boring, Vokun-like style. Ain't nothing wrong with a Vokun-like style, though. No, but I'm saying, like... Yeah. That's just... It's not sexy or fun to watch. It's just kind of blah to watch. Yeah, but, but the funny thing about that is, as a goalie, he still stops the puck. <laughs> yeah, and if I can pull up the numbers... He's really up there this year in, in save percentage, I thought. Hey, because he's, at, he's in, with the Islanders, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really good signing by the Islanders because Halak never stays healthy. And that's how Grace has been getting in. Yeah, and and having someone there that, whilst he might not be Halak, um, can at least give you consistent numbers. You know what you're going to get out of him. You know, basically... Yeah, yeah he's at 931 at even strength. That's yeah, 10, above average. 10 points above average. Yeah. And even in Pittsburgh last year, people complained about him. He was at 921, exactly at league average for a mil. Yeah. Where's the problem? 
The problem was the games that he lost, the team blew up in front of him. I remember there was a Detroit game where Pittsburgh were up comfortably winning, and then all of a sudden it was bang, 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 and they lost it in overtime, and everyone sort of hung it on the goalie, and I'm like, well, hang on a second. I don't, I don't see how any of that was, was his fault. Like, Pittsburgh just stopped playing for the last three minutes of the game, and Detroit, with Datsuk in the lineup, just went whack, whack, whack. So it, it, it's funny how perception falls on a player and they can't sort of get away from Especially it. Especially for goalies. Yeah. Yep. So Buffalo's going to have trouble with goaltending. They're interesting in a potential uh, Jager watch kind of situation, or even in the offseason. The two players you mentioned for Florida that are pending UFAs are Yarmir Jager and Brian Campbell. And I love Buffalo as a destination for both of them next up. I just thought that hilarious with Campbell, though. Why? Well, he swung back around. Oh, well, yeah, they didn't trade him because they didn't like him. No, I know why they got rid of him. I fully appreciate that. It was that just Chicago it's... contract. They just couldn't do. No. And Campbell did the right thing. He, he got a. He, this is the thing. Like he left Buffalo. Like Buffalo sort of lost everything. Then, like Campbell left, Drury left. Um, there was one other that bailed. I can't remember who it was, but they lost everyone, and that was it. Like they had Drury, their run and Drury Breer. Breer, that was the one I was after. And you know, Buffalo sort of really had to to reassess where they're at, and it was sort of sad for Miller because he was sort of in the peak of his powers then. But the team, oh, by the front... way, he uh, Miller returned to Buffalo for the first time today. That went well, didn't it? Uh, for Buffalo, yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, Tyler Ennis had an amazing neutral zone stick handling clinic that led to his own entry, with, and that was with about 20 seconds left. And then he uh, got deep into the zone, curled, and they got a pass to Rasmus Ristolainen, who scored with 16 seconds left to win the game. So it was 2-2, and then Ennis did some really great stuff. Eichel had two assists, so... They're going to be good fun to watch, Buffalo. I know a lot of people are down on McDavid, and we'll cover that off later on, but, you know, Jack Eichel can make that Buffalo squad fun to watch as well. His goals have all been highlight-worthy viewing so far, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't expect New Jersey to stay where they are. Um, uh, although, although I will give them credit for, for being where they are. I, I thought they were just the garbage. <laughs> just garbage. But they've um, they've played well so far this year uh, and kind of proved me wrong on that front, at least for the time being. I still think they stink, but whatever. And I still stand by what we said earlier in the year, get rid of Schneider and just stink again. Stink it right up, but... Like everyone does, they're playing to win. Well, the players are, definitely, and they always will. It's up to management to uh, kind of alter that. Alter their ability to win? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that's lost with all the tank talk. Of course the players are trying. Absolutely, 100%. That will never change, and I don't think anybody expects that to change or wants that part of it to change. They just want the executives to play a little chess and maybe put their queen out... (laughs) In a pretty stupid spot. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, shoot. I put that there? Gee, that sucks. And you're telling me it doesn't work? Oh, I didn't think, I didn't know it wouldn't work. Uh, I'm only playing one, one step ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to shuffle across to the west? I suppose. There's nothing else in the east in regards to this sort of thing. I mean, the rest of the east is sort of where I expected them to kind of be, if you know what I mean. Well, we already did Anaheim. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about Chicago, so I'll well, let you it's, lead there. It's, the thing with the, with Chicago is that this is sort of crunch time, I think, for their season. They've started like they've lost Duncan Keith, and we've seen some games where it's got a little bit out of hand for them. The St. Louis Blues loss is probably one that, that comes to mind. Um, there's such a thing as a good loss and a bad loss, and a good win and a bad win. Um, yeah, that was a tough one, huh? Were, were they yeah. five two? Five zip they were at one stage, I think. No. Oh no, no, it was five two. I apologise. You're right, it was. Um, so they need to um, they need to just be five hundred by the time Keith gets back. If they're below five hundred, then it's it's going to start getting nasty for them because he's got what another four weeks they reckon till he's back. I don't know Cut. this time. I think so. They said four to six, so if I if I run with that, then that's saying that's five weeks he's been out. So it's 15 games, because it's, what, three games a week, basically? Mm-hmm. So by the time they get to 29 games played, they'd want to make sure they've won 15 of them at least. So they only have to get eight, eight more wins to get to that point. But if it starts to get into the negative column with their, their losses, that team's not the same Chicago team we're used to saying that can just pile on the wins. Well, they've so lost bench... four of their last five. Yeah. And that coincides, I believe with the injury. Yep. Uh, so is it just as simple as saying Duncan Keith? I don't think it is. I think their PDO has totally just dropped. Dove. Uh, I, I'm looking at the rolling average right now and it's like, at 950 right Jesus. now. Jesus. So I do believe Duncan Keith clearly is a part of that, but they're still okay possession-wise. So it's tough. Is the PDO altering in this little short sample that Keith's been gone? Um, I'm going to – it's tough because I'm going to have to see the whole sample – it's going to be a hindsight analysis here. Of course it will. You're not going to be. We're not talking about this in a predictive sense. It's more a, if this falls apart for them, we'll probably be able to find out whether it's Duncan Keith or not when he comes back. So, if they keep it together and they just improve, then it's quite obvious the team's constructed okay to keep themselves afloat. But if they keep Duncan- controlling the flow of the game without him, I I view that as more of the the taking the, the temperature of the team then yeah. some wild shooting or save percentage fluctuations that are going on. And no, it seems like they're on the wrong end of some fluctuations on that front. Now their possession has gone down, but down for them is not down for some other they teams. Had, they had wiggle room, put it that way. They were possessing the puck that much that they're still at 52.2% for the entire year at 5 on 5. So if they are having some regression back to fitty fitty uh, while Keith's away, 
and they don't drop below 50, they're up. You know what I mean? Like, teams would love to have that sort of possession and can't with their full roster. Actually, looking at Chicago, you said 52.2. Yeah. Not, not to backtrack. <laughs> yeah. But one of the reasons why I think Buffalo I, I was kind of strong on, they're sixth in the league in possession right now. The Sabres, who were yeah. record-breakingly terrible last year, uh, they've done a really nice job. They're they're right there with Dallas and Chicago. Yeah, Their save percentage is what's killing them. So, sorry to backtrack a little bit, but I All thought right. that was a very worthy point to make, that the Buffalo Sabres are already showing signs of being very good. Yep. They've got a coach that has very good puck possession as well, though. Every team that he coached in, in Pittsburgh, Bosma had a team that was top five, I think, if not top two, a couple of years in having the puck and shooting on the goal. I remember watching the, the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game, and it was very reminiscent for me of watching a Penguins team do that to other teams. Just shoot the puck on net, shoot the puck on net. And Zatkov looked like a lot of goalies do against Pittsburgh, a little bit, you know, wall-like at times. I, it's good. I, it'll be interesting to see how the Bosman teams go there um, because it'll be an interesting case study to see whether – because a lot of the times Penguins games, you'd make the other goalie look like he was a world beater. So I'd be interested to see whether that happens with Buffalo as well. Yeah, be interesting to see. Can Vancouver stay where they are? It is the Pacific, so there's a puncher's chance there. Um, I've, I kind of made fun of them before the year started. I was pretty tough on them. I, I don't think so. They're 28th in possession. There's nothing about that roster that says that's kind of somewhere where they shouldn't be. Because outside the Sedins, what is there? You got some kids that maybe are showing signs of promise. You got Brandon Sutter. You, you've got you've got Brandon Sutter. Uh, All right. Who's probably still a negative relative possession guy on the 27th ranked team in the league. So I didn't like their roster before the season, and I don't like it now. And I think they would be smart to trade a guy like Verbata. Sounds pretty reasonable. I just I just see all the best teams in the Pacific coming from California. That's yeah, all. with the with the McDavid injury now, yeah. Yeah. And and that's one of those things where Anaheim got off to the terrible start, yet they've already got the same amount of points as Edmonton. So that sort of hopeful window that Edmonton might squeeze into a a playoff spot, that division, it's always going to have to be done through the three automatic rankings because the Central is going to take five spots. I, I can't see anyone in the Central falling off far enough for a, a fourth team. And that's in, the, the problem Pacific. for Chicago. They're in the division where you cannot fall off. No. And they're in the lost division. four or five. So, And I've said it before, and I will say it again until they change it, this playoff format is stupid. Well, we've had some pretty radical ideas before in here. Well, yes, I, I believe we discussed eliminating the NHL draft and just having 
the junior players be f total free agents, and the salary cap would eventually even all of that out. Well, you can't fit everybody in. It's just it's as simple as that. It just doesn't We've work. That, so talked about teams in the playoffs, the higher seeds, choosing their opponent. That, so, look, that is a great TV event for me. I reckon that would be freaking awesome. And I think at times we've discussed just scrapping divisions altogether. I don't know if we've touched on that one as frequent as maybe. We had a whole podcast at the one summer. Was it this past summer? I think so. Where we did the draft and the, and the playoff, choosing your opponent stuff. But eliminating divisions, I mean, there's no point to them anymore. No, and geographically, it's all a mess. Anyway, so I don't, I don't sort of see how that works. Really, I don't understand how they think that's going to work in the process. I mean, there's a certain. It, it's not a certain. It's not a unique opinion to eliminate divisions. There are certainly other people out there that share that opinion, and just have the top sixteen make it. Mm. Yep. And have everybody play a balanced schedule. Uh, airplanes are really not that bad to travel on these days, so you know, forget the travel stuff. Just do it. It's one of those things where a lot of teams in the West complain about the travel. If you balance out, if you balance out the travel, you're doing what you said, getting rid of the divisions, getting rid of the conferences, and having everyone play each other a much more balanced um, schedule against you know from the East Coast to the West Coast. I think you'll find that teams would be okay with that. I also think that this whole creating these goddamn divisional things at the moment to try and force rivalries upon on teams and stuff, how the hell are you going to get a rivalry between freaking Chicago and Detroit now because they're never going to play each other in the playoffs? How are you going to get one between um, San Jose and Dallas because the only way they can play each other in the playoffs is if it's in the conference final? Like you just you limit everything so much in regards to that. You never. It's just oh, it's so frustrating. It does the complete reverse of what they planned it to do. Rivalries are just formed by intense playoff series anyway. So all you gotta do is put two teams together and you boom yep. rivalry. Done. But try to have freaking St. Louis try to go through the Central Division every year and not get out of the first round. Gives you no chance to have them be a rival against anyone else because it's just the same teams over and over and over. It's just it's, or it's boring it's, to me. Yeah, actually, that's probably the best way to put it. I was going to say it's a folly, but it is just boring. It's just the same things over and does, over and over. Do, does anybody want to see Washington, New York again? Rangers. Does anyone, does anyone want to see Washington, Pittsburgh? Because all the steam's fallen out of that now because it was from that really, really good playoff series. I would because they're two good teams. But, but you know what I'm, at the same I, I, time, I would love to see Pittsburgh-Dallas or Pittsburgh-San Pittsburgh-Anaheim. Yeah. Like, it, it could yep. fall that way if you eliminated this stuff. Yep, exactly. They just they need to they need to think outside of the traditional set of what they've got. I think they need to overhaul the whole thing, and you go 3-2-1 for your point system, scrap all of what they've got now, and just make it a – turn it very similarly into football over, like, through Europe and stuff how they have the, their tables set up and all that sort of gear. It'd be great if they could create a relegation process as well. But I love the relegation for what they have. I just, what are you going to do? Throw 
say, well, is there a big market team right now that's kind of, you know, oh, Toronto. You're going to relegate Toronto to the AHL? No, but you get, you get what I mean. Like that, there's, 100, there's 100 years to go before they could even consider getting to that sort of stage. But everything else we've discussed, the whole scrapping of the divisional thing and all that sort of gear, just pissed that off. Like, you know, they're not, you can't get the guards for the tradition of what we've had previously. Well, the Penguins own the Wales Conference division thing. What's the Wales Conference now? The freaking Metropolitan. None of it matters. Just get rid of it and move forward. Not going to happen, but I think it's logical. So that was a sideways rant. Anyone else? For, you, do you want to discuss Edmonton or do you want to discuss Conor McDavid specifically? Um, you know, there's not much to add really on that front other than it's very disappointing. I thought he was playing great. And I think there was some uh, beginning conversations that were legitimate about, hey, wow, look at this. The first few games he started slow and then he, he started to heat up. And I think it's a sustainable thing for him he's a phenom yeah uh, maybe an art ross kind of year at least sniffing it it will be interesting to see his points per game by the end of the year because he was the numbers were starting to come up probably be close to one probably be over one he's really awesome yeah yeah his control is just never leaves back like, I, I think the big thing for edmonton though was that Whoever he played with, they were better. And getting the best out of Yakupov is important for that team, whether they keep him or trade him or whatever. Um, but they need him playing at his at his best, and, and playing with McDavid was doing that for them. So um, I think for me that's the sign of a, of a true superstar is not just his game, but his ability to bring other players along with him and improve what they produce as well. So McDavid's already in that boat. But there's not much more to add there. It, Sid and the Penguins were there last night, and that would have been a really cool kind of thing. The Oilers are actually traveling to Pittsburgh later this month. He's going to be out for yes. that. So there's no Sid McDavid game this year. And, you know, that's not the end-all be-all, but let's be honest, that would have been a very cool thing to see for anybody, fan of any team. Hmm. I think. Um. So. They're not going to go off the rails, though, are they, Edson? Without him? I don't know. Can you go off the rails if you're not on him? Uh, I don't know. You could suggest that they'd at least got one wheel on the track properly. They're five and nine. I know. And I suppose if they get there and they're 10 and 18, then their season's toast. So do you... Set the roster up and make sure Drysaddle stays in juniors. Oh, it stays down the AHL again. And no, he looks good. He does. No, he he does. But it's one of those situations where you look look at it and go, well, well if they're bad at juniors, then what, what the what's the point of the AHL? I'd keep him up. Oh no, I agree. I'm thinking along the lines of do they try and put the pieces away and tank again? And this is management I'm talking about here, people. No, they, they won't do that. Because what pieces are they going to move to tank? Well, that's the thing. Their back end is probably what's going to screw them around. They could have just kept Jeff Petrie. Uh, he got run out of town. 
you know, getting Andre Sequeira is great, but all it did was replace Petrie. If they had both of them, that would have really helped. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh well, Oilers. Move on to the flightless birds. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh Penguins. Winners of nine of their last ten games. Uh, that's the best mark in the NHL for uh, if you go down into the standings for the last ten games. They're nine and one. Pretty good since they're 0-3 beginning. I would argue, though, during this nice little stretch, they have not played great the entire time. Marc-Andre Fleury has played great the entire time. It's it's a very complicated analysis of the team right now because Fleury's hidden a lot of uh, the shot suppression follies that they've had. They've been bleeding shots left and right. But then, then... the schedule has changed. They're starting to play easier teams, and their shot suppression is getting a little bit better. So you have to balance the strength of schedule versus are they really improving on that front? It's tough, and we're going to need more time to figure that part out, but I wrote a little bit about the strength of schedule and how the beginning of the year was really tough for them and how it was going to get a little bit easier as we get going here. And now they're in the easier part of it, and they're starting to improve a little bit. So is it enough to be considered a true contender? I still say no, but things are going a little bit better lately. I think the big thing for the Penguins is that I think those that follow them closely can see that they're not playing great, but they're still winning. I thought they played very good last night against Edmonton. And is that them being better, or is it strength of schedule? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both, but they, they they played really well in that first period. I think the biggest concern for that club at the moment is their best defenseman. Okay, and that's a great starting point. Chris Letang, not having a very good year so far. By his standards, or actually by anybody's standards. He's like a 45% possession guy. That's a that's unacceptable for a guy of his ilk to be toting around at that area. And Quick question on that point, though. Who is playing in front of him when he's on the ice? Who's he playing with when he's at 5-on-5? Five five? As far as forwards. forwards? Yeah, we know it's Cole that's hitched up well, next to him. That's and fine. I wrote about this just today. And Cole and Chris Letang, it's not working at all. Like, it needs to stop. <laughs> it's It's been terrible so far. They need an intervention. Something. I mean, I'm trying to dig the numbers up right now. Okay, so I went to a little tool that Emmanuel Perry had online uh, who does a little work for War on Ice. And out of their 56 defense pairings that have played 100 minutes in the NHL this year, Cole and Latang rank 48th in possession at 45.2% of shot attempts. Jesus. That's, that's terrible. They're 55th out of 56 in, in 
Corsi against per 60. They gave up 64.8 shot attempts per 60 minutes. 60 minutes. They're supposed to be the top pairing. They're the worst freaking shot suppression pairing of consistent partners in the NHL right now. So they're, why they're, is the, the, the general media around the NHL again they're saying, oh my God, Pittsburgh's a great defensive team? Well, it's because, okay. Because they're idiots. That's just no, saying. no. I'm, I'm just going to say, people don't understand goaltending and its impact and the hows and whys of it. And I'm not saying I have all the answers to it, but when a guy's saving 95% of the pucks, you need to kind of strip that away and understand that that can really float some other numbers. And Pittsburgh's giving up just too many shots, but their goalie's stopping 95% of them. So you're still going to get positive results on the scoreboard. That That's still, you know, over long stretches of time, that's not going to work. Right now it is. So I guess you can say they're great defensively. <laughs> that's what some people are doing. Mm. And it just, it that's the reason I brought it up, because it sort of baffles me and frustrates me that they seem to go, oh, it's, it's like the, the Canadians last year. Great defensive team. No, they've just got a goaltender that is better than anyone else in that same position well, at the moment. Okay, so you can't blame Chris Letang's forwards. His most common line mates this year are Crosby, Kessel, Malkin. This is why I asked the question. So I've looked it up. Those are his three most common forward line mates. He's 50% with Phil and Sid, 47% with Malkin, which is really low considering the two caliber of players. But I think the pairing of him with Cole is, for reasons unknown, not good. That's his biggest problem. I agree with that. It's They just don't seem to work well off each other. Um, they just need to learn how to change things up a little bit. And at the moment, they're winning and they're deciding not to. And that just frustrates me a little bit because it's not like they're winning well. What did I look up today? Yeah, Ian Cole, they're 45%. And Latang and Cole together. And then Latang away from Cole is 62% this year. Yeah. Um, hello. Talk about two extremes. 45 is abysmal. 62 is unreal. Now, mind you, the sample size of Latang away from Cole is very small. It's 23 minutes, so don't get too carried away with that. But 62 is 62. I mean, <laughs> so just stop it and put someone like Brian Dumoulin up there who has been great for Pittsburgh this year. Nice surprise, huh? Well, it's one of those things where it's great that we've got that surprise with him, but Oli Mata's sort of taken away. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, general gain due to the bonus of one and the negative of the other. You know what I mean? It would have been great if Mata had been average and Dumoulin had been above expectation, but Mata's not been above. Mata's not been average, so it sort of balances itself out. They've got holes back there that they're, they're trying to patch up at the moment until players pan out as you would expect. 
But Dumoulin's panned out uh, greater than any of us thought he would. So Vinny Bats on Twitter, one of my Penguin fellows I have, made a pretty good point last night. Dumoulin basically playing how I thought Mata would and Mata playing like I thought Dumoulin would. Yep. So the net gain is probably zero. zero. It's just weird. But the good thing is Mata has shown in the past that he is okay, albeit mm. with Matt Niskanen, who's not with the team. No, but, but, he, I but he did show he, he could at least be a very good complementary piece. Yep. So I just reckon it all comes back to that number four. It really does. If they take him out of the lineup and then shuffle the players around a bit, I think that he, he might have a chance. All right. Because um, we, we're running out of time. We have a Calgary-Pittsburgh game we need to watch in about a few minutes. Um uh, lastly, Daniel Sprong, it looks like he's going to play his 10th game tonight and kick in that ELC contract. I have literally no problem with that. I think that the floor of him playing fourth-line minutes on this current Pittsburgh Penguins roster, which has great forward depth, is better than the ceiling of junior hockey. Yep. No arguments here. I think that playing with Matt Cullen is fine. It doesn't mean he's going to play with Matt Cullen the whole year. But playing 10 minutes a night with that fourth line with other skilled guys, not super skilled. I mean, Matt Cullen is a fourth liner at this point, but one of the better ones around, I would argue. Oh, oh it's yeah. fine. It's fine. And I think there's literally nothing to be had by juniors. I have no concerns about his ELC hurting the Penguins contractually as the time goes on because they're going to have contracts that come off the books. And if he's playing that great, that's a good thing. Then you pay him, yeah. And, you know, it's not as, last year I would have said send him back. He would have been playing with Craig Adams, Zach Sill, Max Lapierre, something like that. And that's that's useless. We all agree there, right? No argument. But he scores a nice goal last night, uh, grinding some shifts out with Cullen. As we know, Penguins have injury issues. So having a guy with that kind of skill to jump in, and fill some spots, especially, uh, I, man, we talked about Penguins and didn't mention uh, Pascal Dupuis potential blood clot stuff, which the test came back negative, and they're just being very precautious, which is good. And I'm it's glad good. that both team, <laughs> both team and player were proactive and, and didn't kind of push it under the rug maybe, by like how Dupuis kind of was trying to do last year. Yeah. But Sprong is nice insurance to have up with the club, and if sending him back to juniors, he would eliminate that. So good for Sprong. He earned his time. Fans, do not get upset if he's playing fourth-line minutes for a stretch here, or even if it's for a little extended stretch. It's not a big deal. His development's not getting screwed over. He's still playing with good players. It doesn't matter. He's still with the pro club with, you know, two or three of the best players in the world. You're going to learn a lot more there than you will back down in junior. Yeah, what's 85 points in the queue going to do for him? Mm. The only thing I have a problem with Sprong so far, and I don't know who it's on, last night he made this play on the boards in, the, in his own end where he just slapped the puck off the wall uh, very quickly, lacked poise, and the puck was kept in by the other team. He had time, and it just reeked of a play that he would never make at the junior level, like he would take, it, take his time, step, and make a pass. 
And I just wonder how much of that's overcoaching and drilling into make the safe play, don't screw up as a young rookie defensively, defense, 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 defense. You can't be thinking out there when you're playing and panicking. you got to just trust your instincts. He's got great instincts. And like I said, I don't know. It's just my own personal speculation. I bet you he's pressing because he's being coached up quite a bit on that side of the puck because that's where they have already said he needs to work on. And, you know, you know how I feel about those safe plays. Yeah, ha-ha. So, I'm on board, yeah. Something to watch moving forward. Uh, good for him. He earned his spot, and I look forward to seeing him stay up with the club. Be good to watch. So, with that said, that's it for this week. Um, at Gunnar Stahl, at Walshy66, Please rate us on iTunes uh, or write a review. And if you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can do so by going to HockeyHerts.com, finding one of the, the podcast links and the information's in there. So, Thanks, guys. All righty. See you next week.